life that just talks about one thing all the time? Yeah, yeah. Like right now, I know that my two younger brothers are talking about that game. That game, because they're big Hokie fans. And that will be all they talk about today. We're going to get text messages, we'll get memes. And I'll celebrate with them, but I'm going to wonder at some point, can we just talk about something else? And no, they won't. They won't. They'll be living in this championship for the next 10 years. Okay? And it's okay. Um, So I kind of feel this way about the Apostle Peter. He's been talking about this one thing for what seems to be a very long time. Now, this is a very short letter in the New Testament. We've been studying 1 Peter. But maybe one that has felt so long is because we've been sitting in this letter for so long. Uh, But this one thing he keeps talking about is suffering. He keeps talking about suffering. And he's got this thing he keeps talking about, uh, this theme that he keeps running with this theme. You endure, you do good, and you trust God. When you suffer, when you suffer in a pagan society, like a bunch of non-believers, you know, a bunch of people that are evil, when you're you're living under a civil government that you may not agree with, when when you're in a workplace working for a corrupt boss, when you're in a marriage with an unbelieving spouse, when you're being insulted and people are doing bad things to you, when you, when you are suffering unjustly, Peter says you endure, you keep doing good, and you trust God. And this has just been this thing he keeps talking about over and over and over. And well, nothing changes today. He just keeps talking about suffering in our passage today. But there's this element he's going to add today that I think is uh, going to be important, going to have some application right where you and I live. So we're going to jump in 1 Peter chapter 4. There are only five chapters, and we finally got to chapter 4. Here's what he says, verse 1. We'll pick up with verse 1. Therefore, since Christ suffered in his body... Arm yourselves also with the same attitude. Because whoever suffers in the body is done with sin. As a result, they do not live like they don't live the rest of their earthly lives for evil human desires, but rather for the will of God. For you have spent enough time in the past doing what pagans choose to do, living in debauchery, lust, drunkenness, orgies, carousing, and detestable idolatry. They are surprised that you do not join them in their reckless, wild living, and they heap abuse on you. But they will have to give account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. For this is the reason the gospel was preached even to those who are now dead, so that they might be judged according to human standards in regard to the body, but live according to God in regard to the spirit. Again, suffering is the, is the driving theme through this passage. But what we see here today is this, this new detail. That the reason some of these Christians are suffering is because they used to live really, really bad lives. And now their old friends are making fun of them. They're, they're actually verbally abusing them for not joining them in the behavior that they used to participate in. So some of the reason these Christians are suffering is because... They won't do what they used to do, and their old friends are really upset about it. They want to go hang out, go hang out, and go to a wild party like they used to when they were in college. And now, um, you get it. 
I'm just making a connection. There really wasn't college in the ancient Roman world. Not, like we understand it, okay, just making sure no one walks away from here going, what kind of preacher says there was college in the ancient world? No, I'm not. And if there was, it would have probably been Virginia Tech because they're obviously winners. Um, so, okay. That's another theme I think we're seeing this morning. Okay, so 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 you got these these people that used to hang out, go to wild parties, they they'd party in college, but now their lives have changed, and they said, "I'm not doing that anymore." And then what these old friends are doing is making fun of them. They're keeping them from certain business networks. They're abusing them verbally. Part of their suffering's coming because they won't join the wild parties like they did in the past. Part of why this abuse. Is happening, And what Peter wants to do is he wants to encourage them, keep, keep on enduring, keep doing good, and trust God. So you don't give up. And he's going to do that, again, by pointing them to Jesus. Notice what he says first. So we're just going to dissect the passage and pull some really key things away that I think is going to have something to do with your life and mine, right where we live. He starts off by saying, since Christ suffered in the body, arm yourselves also with the same attitude. This is very important. He's been doing this over and over and over again. So he's talking to them about something in their real life. And what does he do? He points them back to Jesus. So when they hit this very hard moment, he points them to Jesus. He's telling them, you remember, you imitate Jesus. If Jesus is the teacher, if Jesus is the king, if he is Lord, you've got to imitate him. Notice he already did this. Uh, in, in a previous chapter, let's go to First Peter 2.21. To this you were called, this is, you were called to suffer even when suffering for doing good. You were called because Christ suffered for you, leaving you an example that you should follow in his steps. If Christ, the Lord, suffered for doing good, will you, the student, are no better than the teacher. You also follow in his example. And then we just read last week, 1 Peter 3, 17-18, For it is better, if it is God's will, to suffer for doing good than for doing evil. Why is that? For Christ. For Christ, who is your example. Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, to bring you to God. So it's this key thing in Peter's mind. You follow the example of Christ. So as he's telling them to endure unjust suffering... This isn't just some call to live a crazy life. It's you follow the way of Jesus. If you're a Christian, you are called to follow the way of Jesus. He suffered. You may be called to suffer as well. You are not better than Jesus. The most famous passage, I think, on this is in from the letter that Paul wrote to the Philippians. You might remember just a short verse. But man, it's a big one. Okay, it just has a big meaning. He wrote this in Philippians. Uh, it's actually Philippians 2.15, uh, 2.5. He says, in your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. You follow your teacher. You take on his way of thinking, his way of living. You follow in his steps. And here Paul says, literally, you take on the mind of Christ. It's very similar to what Peter is saying as well. You take on the attitude of Christ. So as you are suffering, uh, enduring unjust suffering, you also take on the attitude of Christ. And there you have to ask, well, what's the attitude of Christ? You know, what's the example there? 
quote is this. Christ understood that in his suffering, it was drawing him closer to his Father in heaven. Let me say that again. Christ understood, literally, the way he thought was that in suffering, in saying no to Satan and the way of the world, in being perfectly obedient, in, in suffering he was learning how to be obedient and he was drawing closer to his Father. I know it seems like an odd, maybe an odd thought that Jesus was learning how to draw close to his Father through suffering. I thought he just was, like, he just came out perfect. Like, he didn't have anything to learn. Like, this is just the way he was. No, it is through his suffering that he grew in his obedience. It drew him closer to his Father. The book of Hebrews, the author of the book of Hebrews actually draws this out. I want to read that passage. Hebrews chapter 5, 7 and 8. The New Living Translation grabs the sense of the text here. Here's what the Hebrew writer uh, describes. While Jesus was here on earth, he offered prayers and pleadings with a loud cry and tears to the one who could rescue him from death. God heard his prayers because of his deep reverence for God. Even though Jesus was God's son, he learned obedience from the things he suffered. I know we don't like to talk about the benefits of suffering, but suffering actually draws us closer to God if you trust God in the midst of the suffering. Suffering actually, it just doesn't draw you close to God. Suffering actually, when done in a way that trusts God, when you suffer for doing good, it actually moves you away from sin and draws you to God. And that's the point Peter's going to make now. So, like, Christ had this attitude. Now he's going to make this big point. Notice what Peter says next in the passage. He says this. Whoever suffers in the body is done with sin. Now, you, do you see, where, you see where, the, where the challenging part of that, where that, part of that sentence is? Done with sin? Really? I've known plenty of people who have suffered for doing good, and they're still sinners. What's this done with sin? Well, we know it doesn't mean that when you suffer unjustly in the body, I mean, literally it hurts. It doesn't mean you become perfect and you no longer sin. Because we know this one truth, because all Scripture is united. No Scripture contradicts another. So we've got to put that passage in connection with 1 John 1.8. John wrote this. He said, if we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. Don't walk around saying you're perfect. Now, if you have a spouse, they'll make sure you never walk around saying you're perfect. If you're a teenager, hopefully you have a parent that will always tell you you're not perfect. But we don't, this is not a claim. When to be done with sin doesn't mean that you have no sin. Here's what I think it means. This comes from one commentator. One Bible scholar says it this way. I think he really grabs it. Peter means whoever has suffered for doing right and has still gone on obeying God in spite of the suffering it involved, and has made a clear break with sin, following through with the decision to obey God even when it will mean physical suffering has a moral strengthening effect on our lives. It commits us more firmly than ever before a pattern of, before to a pattern of action where obedience is even more important 
than our desire to avoid pain. I just I got to read the last the last part there because it's the part that I keep I keep hovering on every time I I read it in preparing the sermon this week. Obedience is even more important than our desire to avoid pain. When you and I keep doing good in the midst of suffering, we are we are literally learning how to make obedience to God more important than avoiding pain. And in our world, we have an infatuation with avoiding pain. We want the easy way out on everything. But the way to true life is hard work. Now, I don't mean you work your way into heaven. I mean when you come to Christ by grace, through faith, in Christ alone, that journey will then involve suffering because you literally are getting crossways with the world. You no longer will live according to the pattern of most people with power in the world. Therefore, people are going to have problems with you. When you stand up for what is right in a world that says good is bad and bad is good, you're going to get crossways. You will suffer. But when you and I suffer in the body, we are saying, I would rather be obedient than to avoid pain. I'll take the pain and I'll be obedient to God. And when we do that, we actually are drawing closer to God. And we are driving our, we are being driven farther away from sin. Alright, so just in case, just in case we didn't get it on that part of the verse, he keeps going. Look at what he says next. So right after he says we're done with sin, he says, people that do this, well, they do not live the rest of their earthly lives for evil human desires. Literally, when you and I choose to suffer, like when we endure a crooked boss, or we endure a pagan society, we keep doing good in the midst of the suffering. When we do that, we literally learn how to say no to all those evil human desires. This is something Peter's been, been harping on in a few other parts of the book. Check it out. just want you to see, he's, this isn't the first time he talked about staying away from those evil human desires. He said in 1 Peter 1.14, As obedient children, do not conform to the evil desires you had when you lived in ignorance. And then, just the, the next chapter over, 1 Peter 2.11, Dear friends, I urge you as foreigners and exiles to abstain from sinful desires which wage war against your soul. And I'm sure each one of us has felt that. When you want to do something bad, you know it's bad, but man, it'll feel good for a moment. But you know you shouldn't. Peter calls that a war in the soul. He's not unaware. Paul had the same war. There's a struggle when you say no to evil human desires. And you know the point here is not that desire is bad. Desire is very good. I'm so glad God gave us desires. We should have desires. Jesus actually taps into our desires. What does he say? If you follow me, you will have life and life abundantly. God will give you, give you what you truly want. That is, he, he knows you and I want things. The problem is our desires have been bent. They've been corrupted. Desire is not the issue. Oh, there's more joy and pleasure in the presence of God than anywhere else. I mean, massive amounts of pleasure. The problem is we've been trained in the world and in our flesh to think pleasure comes through sexual means. Or eating lots of food. Or having the best job. Or having a certain reputation or status in the company. We think that's 
the height of pleasure. No. The height of pleasure is in the presence of God. God's got no problem with pleasure. The problem is when it gets bent. Here's how I want to... If I had to go one step further, I just wrote this out so we can make it concise. Here's what I'd say. Evil desires center around me. And my pleasure, my comfort, my prosperity, my success, me, me, me. That's where the problem is. When it's all about me. This next sentence is very important. If I give my life away to fulfill my unlimited desires, I will lose my life because I will be left empty. If you give your life away to pleasure after pleasure after pleasure after pleasure. The Bible calls those idols, by the way. If you keep giving your energy, your attention, your resources, if you keep giving all of that away, you will eventually be left with nothing. Because do you know what idols do when they receive your energy, your attention, your, your, um, your resources? Do you know what idols do when they receive it? They keep it. And eventually, they keep all of it. And you are left hollow. I am left empty. Now, you know this works. You know this works. This just works in the real world. If you, if you, if you have a gambling problem, do you, know, do you know why casinos work? Because they tap in to the addiction. And eventually, who's, who's left wealthy? The casino's left wealthy. And most of the time, the gambling addict is left broke. Opioids. These, these massive drugs that give great pleasure for a moment. They, just, they ease you out. They, they give you just this great um, euphoria. You know what they'll give eventually? You know how you, you'll be left? Empty. Because every idol will give a little back, but they'll keep everything else, and eventually you'll have nothing else to give. Evil desires are evil because they're about me. You know, Jesus was so wise. I mean, Jesus understood this. I didn't put the slide up. I thought it would be too much, but obviously I needed to say it, so now I'm going to say it. He said, if you try to find your life, if you try to grab your life, if you try to make your life what you want it, you will lose it. But if you give me your life, if you give away your life, if you lose your life for my sake, you will gain it. You know the one person in the universe that gives back more than they receive? God. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, they give more than they receive. You think God needs your worship? No. He is self-sustaining. He does not need us in any way. That's why we call Him God. But in His great mercy, He lavishes us with abundance. Do you want investment on your return? A return on your investment? You want to, if many of you were going, did that make sense? No, it didn't make sense. Um, if you want a return on your investment, God is your best bet. Every day of the week. So you give to Him and He gives more back. Evil desires reverse that and you are left empty. Paul, Peter says, don't go back in that direction. And he reminds them where they've been. 
So just check it out. Here's where he goes next. You have spent enough time in the past doing that. You lived there. You you were left empty there. And what were they doing? This is what they were doing. Seems a bit modern, doesn't it? Debauchery, lust, drunkenness, orgies, carousing, and detestable idolatry. There really is nothing new under the sun. The only big difference between today and 2,000 years ago is that now you can do all of those things in secret on your digital device. So you can get away with this for longer in our world without anyone knowing than you could in the ancient world. Because, because in the ancient world, there was no digital technology to spread rumors or to bully someone online and, and feel real good about it or to look at images of, of human beings doing things they shouldn't be doing. You, you couldn't... You couldn't do that in the ancient world like we can do today. But the same principle is right there. So he says, don't go do that again. That's going to leave you empty. And by the way, it'll leave you empty today. Every day of the week. Has anyone heard about the mental health crisis in our world? And where is that happening most, we hear? Among the young generation. Because the young generation has grown up with access, unlimited access to anything they want. Just literally takes a few clicks. And what has, it le- what has it left? It has left a wake of emptiness and loneliness. So, so Paul's, P- Peter says, don't go back there. Because he knows that when suffering in the body, struggling under very difficult circumstances, you know what every one of us is tempted to do? Take the easy road and satisfy the flesh. Get revenge. Indulge. Gluttonize. Go back into an old way of life that just seems easy and it surely feels a lot better in the moment. Peter says, but don't do that. Don't you give up enduring. Don't you go back to the life you once lived because your suffering is actually helping you draw close to God and be done with sin. Man, that's a message for today. And just in case you and I would think, well, Really, there's really nothing going to happen to all those people doing all those bad things. Because these Christians might be tempted to think, well, well, God's kind of just allowing it all to happen. Uh, But for the fact, judgment, one day will come. And he's got to remind them about this. Here's what he says next. They will have to give an account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. Judgment is coming. This is like a theme throughout the Bible, so I feel like if, if, you know, if we were going to do a big study of this, we'd be here all day. Let me just take a few, a few verses. Hebrews 9.27, it may be the most famous passage on this topic. You, even, you hear at funerals, you hear in the fire and brimstone sermons, this is the one. Hebrews 9.27, just as people are destined to die once and after that, to face judgment. There will be a judgment one day. Everybody's going to be called to account. Now, here's the thing with Christians, because you might say, well, golly, if I'm a Christian, do I, I mean, do I get a pass on this? And yes, yes, you do. You do get a pass on the condemnation. Now, Christians also will be evaluated. There is some type of reward system. I don't understand what all that looks like, but there will be some evaluation. We could study 1 Corinthians chapter 3. That's not the place today. But in terms of condemnation, every Christian is safe from the wrath of God. And I, 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 I'm not going to say it without giving you the verse. Romans 8, 1 and 2. 
Paul writes this, Therefore there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, because through Christ Jesus, not through you, through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit who gives life has set you free from the law of sin and death. If you're a Christian, there is nothing to fear on the final day. You are safe. Now you'd be evaluated, but you are safe and you are secure. But for those that do not know Christ, I think one of the one of the one of the most clear statements on what happens to all those who are unbelievers comes from Paul's pen, inspired by the Spirit, in his second letter to the Thessalonians. Not a passage we often read, Second Thessalonians one, eight through nine. He, this is God, will punish those who do not know God and do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus. They will be punished with everlasting destruction and shut out from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of His might. That's what's coming for every unbeliever. We could also call, the Bible also calls that hell. There is a hell and there will be many people in it because they do not believe in Christ. Heaven is not just a place like Disneyland. It's not just a place of family reunions. It is where the God of the universe dwells in abundant joy. And if you do not believe in Him, you may actually see heaven as hell. If you don't want God here, why would you want to go be with Him forever and ever and ever and ever? There will be a judgment on every unbeliever. And just take that to the bank. But praise God that He's not going to judge those who are in Christ. They are safe from that condemnation. But there is a judgment coming. Alright, we'll talk about that in just a second. So because of this, because of the fact that there's a judgment coming, well, we better be preaching this good news and helping people come to the salvation of this, of, of, of this, of this Christ, the Son of God. It's exactly why he ends the passage this way. Just Here's how he ended it. Remember, I'm just picking up the highlights. For this reason the gospel was preached. It was preached to those that now are dead, he's saying. But it was preached so that they might live according to God in regard to the Spirit. Now, this whole judgment according to the standards of the body, like of human life, is they died. Every human will die if Jesus doesn't come back. Because, that is, you know, until Jesus comes back, every human is going to keep dying. Because we stand under the condemnation of the fall. Your flesh will decay because of the curse that sits on the world. But we live according to the Spirit. And one day we will have a new body and a new heaven and a new earth. And so we preach the gospel so people get to be part of that really good news. Okay. Let's make some application. Because that's just a lot there in that passage. I just want to draw our mind to, to, to really, I want to draw it to, to three things. Here's the first one. Let your suffering train you to draw near to God. And here, here I just like, like baseline, don't give up and don't take the easy way out. So if you're working for a corrupt boss, don't go home and get drunk every night because it's really hard to work for the corrupt boss. Don't do that. You stay the course, you keep doing good. Now you may have an opportunity to get another job, but don't go indulge your flesh and become, and become a, a person who lives in drunkenness because you, because you can't handle what's going on at the job. Don't do that, he says. Don't take the easy way out because in the end it won't be an easy way out. 
So that's, that, that's the first thing. Let your suffering draw you to Christ. So just, this is a perspective change. Like, man, this, this suffering really stinks, but it is drawing me to Him who is life. Like, it's just, you just literally, it's, it's a mindset. And there's no easy formula for this. I can't just tap you with a Harry Potter wand and all of a sudden your mind is completely changed. No. It's just every day you keep taking every thought captive saying this suffering is training me to draw close to God. I will not take the easy way out. Okay. Second thing. Remember there will be a judgment day. And this is so important for us. Because we live in a world where we are getting news about Today, we're getting news about this world. Do you know the big perspective that AP News will not put in front of you or me? That there is an eternity beyond today. Let me give you an illustration. I, 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 I'm going to just bring some, a couple people on stage. So Ethan, come up on stage. Terry, can you come up on stage? Um, I'm not making a statement about Terry. You'll understand in just a moment. I'm just using him because he's already on stage anyway. If you have a teenager, do you know one of the things that we have to keep in front of our teenagers? That there is a life after the teenage years. Because they live, what? In the moment. And whatever they feel, they feel strongly and they want to do it right now. And they very often have no perspective of any life after today. You're just trying to train this this young person, how to see beyond these years that, that really there's a life after high school. I promise you there's a life after. There are friends beyond high school. I promise you there really are. But man, that's hard because they live right here. Do you know who has perspective? Older, older people. Older people. Older people. Not an old person, just an older person. We are, we are constantly trying to help this remember this. Okay? This is so vital. Because Terry looks back at these years and says, Man, if I would have known what I knew now back then, I would have made a lot of different choices. I hear you would have made a lot of different choices. Uh, okay, now... Would you now go with me from an eternal perspective? This is eternity. This is you right now. The AP News, the New York Times, Fox News, CNN, all of it is teaching us to live right here. But what if we have the perspective of what is beyond death? I'm just telling you, there is something beyond death. If, if eternity could look back on where you live right now, you would probably do some things different. You would probably live differently. So this has a bit of a hell, hell, hellfire and brimstone feel to it. There is a hell. I'm not calling you hell. I just, right now you've got to stand in for hell. <laughs> Lord Beth, I don't know what you think about all this. I know, I know. Okay, yeah. there's a lot of tension inside of Lord Beth right now. Um, so, um, so, 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 there is a hell, and there are millions and maybe billions of people that have a perspective now that they wish they would have had back here. So, if you're living like a heathen, just remember there is an eternity. We are being trained to never think about eternity. 
You just think about Ukraine and Russia. That's all you need to think about. I'm just using an example here. You just think about that and all the suffering that's happening. There is something beyond all that suffering. There is eternity. But the good news is there's also Christ. There's also glory. There's also glory. So you keep this in mind. When you say no to getting drunk at night because work is really hard, you have in your mind the fact that there's a life of great pleasure beyond. And that suffering is training you for this great pleasure. But you've got to keep this in mind or it's going to be really hard to live any different here. We understand this in teenage and older people. We understand this. We are not well trained in understanding this from the eternal perspective. So what I'm saying, teenagers, myself included, you too, we teenagers need to keep an eternal perspective. Because often God looks at us and says, you're no better than the 13-year-old. Keep eternity in mind. That, I think, is what's happening in the passage. That's what the Bible is constantly trying to train us to keep in focus. All right, thank you. You guys did great. You guys did great. You didn't have to remember a line or anything. I mean, it was great. It was great. Okay. All right. Next time, Laura Beth's in an argument with her dad, she said, but you're hell. You're hell. Okay. <laughs> and you can say, no, I'm glory. I'm glory. Okay. All right. Um, and then, Ethan, you just, you're just a teenager. Um, so, last thing. Last thing. Let's just end here. I just said, let's end, and George just said, amen. <laughs> I don't know how to move forward. <laughs> okay, all right. Keep your eyes on Jesus. Keep your eyes on Jesus. Like when you're struggling and you're suffering and I'm struggling, keep your eyes on Jesus. He is the author and perfecter of your faith. Don't lose that. Last, next step, here it is. I just thought, how do you like get this down into everyday life? Like, what can you and I do like today that would take all of this and boil it down to something like concrete? I think it might be this. Say at the end of each day, thank you, God, for this day that you gave me, even with the ups and downs. That's a really hard, a hard prayer if you've had a bad day. But what that does is it trains us to remember God gave us the day. What does Jesus teach us to pray? Give us today our daily bread. So just believe that he's going to do it. By the end of the day, you say, thank you for giving me what I needed. Not what I wanted, but what I needed. Thank you. So you keep him in focus and you thank God for the suffering and it trains you to say no to sin, yes to him, and we look more like our teacher, Jesus. So when you get to the end of the day, say thank you, God, for the day you gave me even with the ups and downs. That'd be a good prayer. Let's pray. Father, just now work this, Your Word, by Your Holy Spirit, work it into our ordinary life so that we may look more like Jesus, follow in His steps. And that is a very hard thing, but we are so grateful it is by Your grace. And so we pray that in the name of Christ, our Lord. Amen.